In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. My adventure win of the week is that we are beginning to plan bits and pieces of our gap year. And one of the things we decided to do was give each kid like a big wish list opportunity, an experience that they could choose for the gap year for their Christmas present. We've done this often, but not big like this. And usually it didn't include this type of travel. So this week, I booked my daughter's wish list item, and for fear that she might catch wind of this episode or her superpower of eavesdropping potentially in the next room, I've decided I have to keep you all in a little bit of a suspense for a little bit. But I will say it's going to be one of the most touristy things we could do, and it is very connected to one of her current interests. The win was that thanks to Miles and Points, not only did I book the tickets with our Magic Travel Eraser credit card, We also use Chase Ultimate Rewards to book our hotel, so over $2,000 of value thus far has been preserved in our gap year budget. It's things like this sometimes that makes you feel like you're winning at life. You know, if you can find tricks to optimize your time, money, and travel, it just feels like a win. And our wins don't need to be big. Sometimes doing nothing for 15 minutes and stepping outside and not consuming anything is a win. Heck, last week... While playing the single mom card all week in the throes of my child's activities, getting food on the table each night felt like a win. And while I love a good optimization strategy, I have also found, though, that there's no hacks for optimizing relationships and being human. So my hope is this episode today helps you optimize the stuff in your life that's getting in the way of you connecting with other humans or even potentially with yourself, your spouse, or your kids. Our guest today is the ultimate life hacker, helping others optimize their time, money, and travel. I've listened to his stories of him begging to go to boarding school, being an undercover agent to expose a pyramid scheme, creating a company in 48 hours, and even the backstory on how he convinced his wedding videographer to do his wedding for free. I guess technically it cost him $1,000. His tenacity in the face of uncertainty is so inspiring, and he always seems to find unique ways to bring people together from hosting concerts to laid-off camp to speaking at South by Southwest. He's a travel rewards guru, but also looks at experiences differently. An example is traveling the world in eight months when he suggested to his wife to take a one-way flight with him to South Africa, couch surf as much as possible, and find interesting ways to travel between cities. After years of working in startups and aggressively pursuing financial independence, he also seems to have landed as the founder and host of All the Hacks podcast. Chris Hutchins is a dad of two young girls and chief optimizer here to share his insights. Chris, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Wow. Thank you for having me. And I feel like your intro, I'm like, oh, we just did the whole thing. You told my whole story. I'm like, where do we go? 
Well, let's start just by this idea of optimizing. I know it's probably hard to pinpoint like one piece of like a point in time or anything, but when did you start to realize that people were coming to you looking for hacks around like optimizing money, time, travel, all those things? I love the the twist on the question because often it's when did I start coming up with these, but when did people start coming to me? Gosh, it was probably somewhere in the first few years of my like professional career in Silicon Valley, because when I first graduated, I worked in kind of banking and management consulting where people are traveling a lot and everyone was kind of already earning their points. But when I moved out to Silicon Valley to work in the startup world, that was not infused in people's DNA yet. And so the more I shared about it, the more people asked questions and I just kind of became the go-to person for travel, saving money, deals, and all of that. Prior to that, I think in college, I was definitely playing the game and I was definitely, you know, doing everything to save money. But I don't know if I'd kind of branded myself with that yet amongst my friend group. Yeah. So you're just building the experience. You're building your resume at that point, right? (laughs) Exactly. Do you have a favorite? So, I mean, you've done thousands of things in the travel hacking space. If someone's like, gosh, where do I start? What's your top one, two, three, maybe go to things to suggest to people? Yeah, I think so often travel hacking is just synonymous with credit card points. And while mm-hmm. I do think that credit card points, frequent flyer miles, hotel points all are fantastic and we can talk about them, I don't think they're the only part of the game. So one hack that's like very simple that I always tell people is like a great starter hack because it doesn't require you to open a credit card or do anything is just book your next hotel directly with the hotel company, right? Just go to Marriott's website or Hyatt's website, book the hotel there. Don't book it on TripAdvisor or Expedia or Orbitz. And then email the hotel after you've booked and say, hey, I'm coming. I'm excited to stay with you guys. If we're celebrating anything, this is what it is. And if you don't have the email address, you know, look online, call the front desk, ask for an email address for someone at the hotel, not at the chain HQ. And then maybe follow up two or three days before you arrive and say, hey, still coming, really excited, look forward to seeing you. And the number of people I've gotten emails from who've gotten upgraded, free breakfast, drinks, a bottle of champagne, a fruit basket, their initials embroidered on a pillow, like the number of times I've heard these stories is in the hundreds. And it's so easy to do. It doesn't take really any effort other than finding an email address and sending a pretty straightforward email. I love that. That's such a great example. And I'm sure one nobody thinks about. How did you find that? Or did you just kind of start exploring it and figure that out? I'm not sure who first told it to me. Um, You know, Julia from GeoBreeze Travel, which is another podcast, kind of has a template she made. We talked about it. It was actually part of the first episode I've ever done. I talked about it with Lee Rowan, who runs a travel advisory company, a travel agency. But I I think it just comes down to hotels are in the hospitality game. And so let them do their thing. And when you book on third-party websites, the hotels usually don't get a lot of information about who you are. They don't really necessarily get to build a relationship with you. And so they don't get to do the thing they want to do, which is try to win at hospitality. And so you can kind of apply this lens in lots of other places. I, I noticed there's a sushi restaurant in town. And anytime I order directly by calling them, they always throw something in, like some free dumplings or edamame or something. But if you order from like Uber Eats or DoorDash or Grubhub, you never get anything. And so you know, a lot of these businesses in the world are just trying to 
you know, build a relationship with their customers. And the easier you make it for them to do that by working with them directly, the more likely they are to reciprocate. So true. In a, in the world of hospitality, building a relationship with your customers is even more important around customer loyalty. And that's fascinating. Has there ever been a time when you were traveling when you just went, gosh, this was a bad idea. And then, you know, looking back, you're like, well, maybe it wasn't, or I really learned something from that experience and it's helped you travel maybe deeper. I can think of one particular circumstance, you know, negotiating for negotiation's sake has always been like a sport for me. And I remember at one point it just got really heated. And I think you forget that, especially with language barriers, cultural barriers and everything, you can't always expect everyone to be as rational as you want. So if someone's frustrated in a negotiation, you might not be able to just like reason your way out of it when there's language and cultural barriers. And I remember having this kind of discrepancy where I feel like one price was given to me and then another price was told right after at a food market in Zanzibar. And, you know, it got to the point that I was like, trying to argue what I and the few people around me all agreed was kind of the right stance that this person was just trying to like up in the prices and rip off tourists. But at the end of the day, we were talking about a few dollars and it started getting really heated and aggressive to the point that we were like, is this person going to follow us out of this night market? And like, is there going to be a problem? And I feel like we kind of walked away and didn't pay the extra few dollars, but it put us on edge the rest of the time. And I was like, you know, what? we should have just paid two dollars. We shouldn't have gotten ourselves in like this situation, even though we were, I was pretty confident we were in the right. It just didn't matter. And I think sometimes trying to make sure you're always getting exactly what you want when language and cultures are in the way is not as important as, as just like enjoying the moment, even if it costs you a few extra bucks. I can see that. And I also think it maybe goes to the question of like, is there a time where you ever realize like it really wasn't worth the optimization? That sounds like that might have been one of them where like, what's a couple bucks, right? Yeah. I mean, similarly, I can't, you know, back when we were couch surfing or staying in hostels, I can't imagine the number of times we were like, well, this hostel, I think there's a cheaper one. And, you know, let's just try to go save another dollar. And we were just like walking around town with our backpacks, trying to find another place to stay. And I think, you know, at the time saving an extra, we were on a budget of $30 a day. So if you could find a place for an extra three or $4 off, that was like, you know, saving 10% of your budget for the day. That's like being able to have a more lavish dinner and, and lavish, you know, on $30 a day budget, <laughs> keep in mind is a different lavish than maybe is now. But I think at some point you're like, well, I'm only in this place for a few days. So yes, I could spend three hours trying to find a cheaper hotel, but like you can't get the three hours back and you're not traveling forever. So what's really the most important thing right now? Yeah, I appreciate that because I think it blends well into, you know, sometimes I think travel hacking can feel really overwhelming for people. And I know when I first started, I was like, gosh, you know, it's just a lot of work, right? <laughs> so it's helpful to have really smart people like yourself who can teach us how to do these things. But at some point, is the time versus the money worth it? And so I think you just gave an example, right, where maybe saving a couple of bucks or you can't get the two to three hours back. But, uh, you know, is is time efficiency more important? Have you have you ever realized that or decided like it's, well, you just gave one example of it's not worth it, but what about in life when maybe even when you're not hacking travel, is there, are there other examples when time becomes more important than money? Yeah. I mean, we have two kids, so. <laughs> Point to me. <laughs> it's crazy how you have 24 hours in a day and, you know, let's say you sleep eight of them and you work eight of them. So you've got these eight hours. And so if you're in a relationship between the two of you, you've got 16 hours of free time. And then you have kids and you have one kid, let's say, and 
of that eight hours you're awake, they're awake for, let's say, six of them. So now, you know, one of you could have eight hours and the other one only gets two. So you've only got, you go from 16 hours to 10 hours. Then you have a second kid and you go from 10 hours to like four hours because, <laughs> and now you're like, okay, well, I just lost 75% of my waking hours. And the solution can't be just don't sleep, right. right? Or don't work because it turns out kids are expensive. So like we could go down a whole path of, you know, how to try to optimize that because you got to save more money or, or spend less money once you have kids because they cost a lot. And so everything just became about what is the most optimal way to plan your day, your week, your vacation, your life so that you can get back a few hours. Because if now you're to the point where between two people, it's like four hours of free time bringing back 30 minutes really means a lot. Whereas if you have eight, eight hours of free time or 16 hours, like three, 30 minutes might not be as meaningful. Yeah, I know. I have three kids. I think it's hilarious when you're like, well, I have two kids, period. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you guys done? Have you found some ways to bring back like the value of 30 minutes back into your day? Absolutely. So when we had our first kid, we were like, gosh, we're spending a lot of time cooking. And, you know, yes, we could order delivery, but you know, it's expensive. And we found that the cheapest thing was to find someone who liked cooking that lived nearby and have them like bulk prep and cook meals for the week and drop them off in, you know, glass Tupperware and put them in the fridge and we would have meals for the week. And I just put an ad out on Craigslist saying like, this is what I'm looking for. And I've got a handful of responses, talked to a few people. And it, it ended up costing, let's say, halfway between buying the groceries yourself and ordering from a restaurant. So yes, it was more expensive, but it meant that every single night we weren't trying to figure out what to do for dinner because, you know, cooking is not something that kind of pairs well with an infant. Mm -hmm. Now that we have a two-year-old, you know, I've said, oh, well, I can actually like have our two-year-old get a little bit involved and over the next couple of years, I think even more involved. So we actually scaled that back. We're not doing the food because now I'm like, well, if one of us is going to watch our daughter for 30, 40 minutes in the evening, we could just use that time to cook and she could be a part of it. And it's a little easier to do. So now we're back to that. So it's it's not necessarily finding the time management trick that'll work forever, but the one that works right now. The other is like, like we just don't travel to places if there's not a direct flight, unless it's like a really big trip. So we're like, hmm, where should we go? Before it was like, what's cheaper? Now it's like, what's cheaper and a direct flight because it's just it seems chaotic or where can we drive to, you know, like things like that, that just right. change the the way you travel because you have kids. It just makes the vacation more enjoyable. Are you finding, I'm just kind of curious, being a dad, are you finding you're less concerned with being optimized or do you feel like it's leveled up your optimization strategies? Are you finding that time is more precious and you don't need to optimize or do you feel like you need to optimize more? Can I say both? I think financially, I think I've kind of just accepted that because there's limited time, I've cared less about optimizing the money side of things. So it's like, oh, this thing's going to maybe help our daughter sleep well. Or for example, we we're trying to figure out how to wean our daughter off pacifiers. And there's this Frida baby kit of five pacifiers. And I can't even remember how much it costs. I'm going to say ballpark $20. And it's like a sequence of five pacifiers that where the part that you put in your mouth gets progressively smaller to the point that you could barely keep it in. And it was like, okay, this is probably the easiest way to solve this problem. Do I want to go like try other methods? Do I want to like deal with the hassle of it? Or do I just want to buy this thing? 
And I think I probably would have sweated the $20 a lot more in a past version of my life. But now I probably sweat the financial side of things a little bit less. Look, I'm not going to go hire, you know, a professional pacifier trainer to come to our house. Like it's not egregious, but you know, another one was we were doing baby led weaning, which was like when you introduce solid foods, it was like, yes, there are millions of recipes out there, but for like 30 or 40 or $50, there is a site called solid starts where you could just buy a meal plan for the first hundred days and take all the think work out of it. And it was like, that's worth it to me. So it's like, I've gotten mm -hmm. more optimized on the time side of things. Let's not spend 20 hours researching, you know, kids recipes, but less optimized on the financial side and being willing to pay for that time. So let's have a house cleaning service come twice a month instead of once a month, or let's hire someone to trim the trees and cut the grass and that kind of stuff when normally I would do it because I do want to spend time with my kids. And so I, I need to find a way to get the time. Yeah, I, that actually brings up two questions. So one, it sounds like, and maybe this is just part of who you are as well. I mean, I know you've been in a lot of startups where it's okay to fail and there's a lot of different ways to get to the result that you want. It sounds like you're more willing to try a lot of different things rather than like, oh, I have to get it right. Does that, or have you always been just kind of like, I, I'm not worried about perfection. I'm worried about getting it done. I think I always want to get it right. And I'm really trying to get more comfortable with getting it fine enough. It's like at some point, all the decisions are good and then you just stop and pick one at random. Yeah. I still have this part of me when I'm driving down the street and I'm like, hmm, the light's about to turn red. Should I turn right and take a different route home? Because otherwise I'm going to be stuck at this red light and there's probably a more efficient way to do it. Like that still goes off in my head. I think I've probably just gotten more comfortable being like, let's save that for another day. Like, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to solve that problem today. And maybe that's the kid screaming in the backseat. I don't know. I don't know. I think I think I, I always want to do it. I'm getting more comfortable with not doing it. And like travel, you know, we, we have a lot of points, we have a lot of miles. And we were talking about like, what do we do? Do we try to travel like we had when we were two people where it's like, you know, you can get all the availability, because it's just two people and we're really flexible. Now do we just like spend the more miles to be able to go where we want? Or do we give up on where we go? And you know, you can't have it all. And I've just gotten comfortable with Okay, whereas I used to try to go to the place we want, the time of the year we want, yeah. you know, in the most direct manner. Now it's like, let's give one of those up. We're going to go on a vacation to a beach in October and like, I don't care where or, you know, <laughs> really want to go to Italy and I don't care when. I just have to give up a little bit to be able to make life work and be a little easier. Yeah. Those are great. I think that helps just wrap your head around like it doesn't always have to be perfect, but this value of like good enough, right? In the, in the moment, I appreciate you also saying like, I have to give that up today because I still, my brain still goes there, but you know, is it really worth it right now? You also alluded to earlier, and maybe I'm reading into this a little bit, that the things that you maybe would have done before, you're more willing to outsource now. Talk to me a little bit about what are some of the things you talked a little bit about, like cooking, right? That you're outsourcing that a little bit with with the meals and maybe the lawn care or stuff like that. Are you finding that that's helping you like have a team and, and really enjoy life a little bit more? Is What's the rationale or maybe some of the reasons why you guys have decided to outsource different tasks? Yeah, I think outsourcing just gives you the time to do the thing you want. Yeah. And obviously, if money gets in the way there, you know, you don't have a choice. But if you have the ability to spend your time doing whatever you want, that, you know, like presumably will make you happier. And one of the things that helped me get really comfortable around it, my wife worked at Lyft for a long time. And as part of that, I remember wanting to 
be involved. So I signed up as a Lyft driver. I drove a little bit. I was like, oh, every time I get in my car, if I want, I can go drive for an hour and make, I don't know, $20, whatever the number is in the city you live in. And I was like, okay. So anytime I'm not doing that, I'm actively choosing to spend, let's call it $20 an hour to do whatever I'm doing. And that just kind of like made it really easy to put a floor price. Now, given, you know, the Bay Area and salaries, like that's probably way too low of a floor, but it at least gave me something which I really struggled with valuing my time. So, you know, if I'm sitting here knowing I could go do that and instead I'm watching a TV show, then I should presumably also be able to pay someone $20 an hour to do something so that I could watch that TV show. That really just helped me. Not all the things that I want to find someone to outsource, you know, there are always options or people want to do things the way you want to do. But it's been really helpful just trying to come up with a framework for how I can value my time better. Because I think for many of us, and I'm jealous of people who are better at it than me, it's just really hard to value your time. It feels like we should just do it all ourselves. It's a tough challenge to pay people to do things. And obviously, if you don't have the money, it's even tougher. But if you do, justifying it is hard. You know, I think I've been involved in the financial independence movement for a while I've changed my perspective where it's less about trying to collect as much money as possible so you can never work again and more about trying to make sure you have enough money that you can live the life you want, which might mean not contributing as much to savings and not retiring sooner so that you enjoy life now in the way you want. And if you're doing that while working in a way that you enjoy, then you actually don't care about necessarily stopping working per se. So that's been a big change for me also. I ha- I was going to mention something similar to that. I had someone mention, you know, if it means I work one last hour at work and get paid, but then I have to come home and mow the lawn and I actually hate mowing the lawn, I'd rather work an extra hour doing something I enjoy and pay someone to do the thing I don't enjoy, right? Because <laughs> that's actually much greater value of my time is doing the thing I enjoy or don't hate as much <laughs> about that. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes I just stack things. So I used to listen to music when I run. But now I have a podcast and sometimes I like to research the guests I'm having on. And so as much as I'd rather listen to music, now I'll listen to a podcast while I run, which might not be as enjoyable as music, but it's more enjoyable than having to do both of those things separately and taking, you know, 30, 45 minutes for both of them. So I've tried to stack, like I look at my schedule and I'm like, okay, I'm doing, I'm driving here. So let's try to schedule a call here or I'm doing the dishes or cooking and let's try to schedule a meeting here. So I find that, you know, I'm trying to optimize life, not necessarily always by outsourcing, but by overlapping two things that don't need necessarily the same part of your brain. So I'm not distracted, but allow me to get more done in a smaller number of hours. Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate that. And I think that's one of the hacks, like just podcasting in general, I sometimes think is a hack, right? Like the fact that I can have something in my ears and learning about it, or similarly, I was researching and listening to a lot of your podcast episodes as I was leading up to this interview. Like I have to remind myself of some of the different things I've heard over the last couple of months because I listened to a lot of podcasts and I could forget or I could get them intermixed. But doing that and mowing the lawn. I don't know why we're talking about the lawn so much. I really don't enjoy it, but it just seems like one of those things that's easy to do or while driving it does seem like a little stack um, and a little optimization strategy as well. Do you have other hacks related to like time or money hacks that you've perfected or maybe even don't even think about anymore? One thing that I think everyone probably has been told to do but doesn't do easily is going in and just doing your kind of like calendar audit and you know reviewing how you spend your time, going in and looking at meetings. This could be at work or personal life and just really try to cut back. I remember at one point I was like, I'm just going to delete all the meetings and only bring back the meetings that need to happen. 
or I'm going to go in and look at how I'm spending my time. One hack that uh, I learned on the podcast from a guest and I told my wife and she loves it. So my wife doesn't trust me to do the laundry because I never know what goes in the dryer and what gets hung dry. But we found that if you do the laundry, now a lot of us are working from home. If you do it on like a Sunday, you're like, oh, for the next three hours, it's laundry and it takes up the whole day. And an easy hack was, let's just make laundry part of a weekday routine. You know, everyone, while you're working from home, maybe you have 10 minutes here, 15 minutes here. It's easy to run downstairs, swap the laundry, that kind of stuff. It's easy to maybe fold the laundry on a call. And so you're not dedicating like hours of your weekend to just laundry, which seems so silly. I know other people will say outsource it. We don't do that. But I think it makes it a lot easier to just say it's a weekday thing. And we're just going to let it slip into the slots throughout a day instead of trying to block off three or four hours for it. Yeah. I had a friend too who told me to do laundry every day, like just do one load every day. It never piles up. And I was like, that's great in theory. It just doesn't, it's not realistic for me. But I think things like that, when you can start to think about like, oh, this is a huge task or it takes a bulk of time splitting it up. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's kind of fascinating. I love how like real these are examples too. You know, <laughs> It's one thing to like think of high end optimization strategies. And it's another thing to talk about laundry. It's just, it's very practical. It's something everyone's got to do. Yeah. I actually want to talk a little bit about something that was in your bio. So there's two things actually I want to talk about. One of them is this trip around the world. I Not only do I love that you did it and took eight months to do this with your wife, but the way you describe it is couch surfing and trying to find like interesting travel uh, transportation options in between each city. So it wasn't just like, oh, we're going to jump on a plane here and then there and there. Talk a little bit about how that was a different style of travel for you guys or what you got out of that that was maybe different than the traditional travel vacation type experience. Well, the main thing we got out of it was we didn't have you know a massive credit card bill to pay. So the, the reason <laughs> that we didn't fly between cities is because we couldn't afford to. Mm. Um, so we had the constraint of money up against us. So we had been working jobs. I was doing some freelance work. My wife didn't love her job. And we said, oh, you should get a new job my freelance projects are ending. Why don't we just take a break? And then the more we looked into this, we we're like, gosh, you know, to take a trip to, let's say somewhere far away, Africa, Southeast Asia, the bulk of the trip cost is the travel in a lot of these countries, especially when you're young and you're okay, you know, doing the hostel thing or, you know, the cheap bungalow thing. We we're like, gosh, a two week trip to Thailand is about 80% of the cost of a three week trip to Thailand. And we we're like, gosh, the longer you stay, the more you can see and you just incrementally only add a really small amount. And we'd started finding people that had been doing this and written blog posts about it. And we're like, what if we just did a really long trip and we got to see all these places? And it also came from putting pins on a map of where we wanted to go and seeing that there were like, you know, 65 pens on the map. We're like, oh, how are we ever going to see this in our lifetime if we just take a trip for two weeks every year? Like we'll never get to do it. And so when we decided to take the trip, we said, okay, well, we don't have a lot of money. We rented out our place as a furnished apartment and we kind of put everything in storage and we were like, this is the pool of money we have to spend and we'll kind of go as long as we can. We decided the budget would be about $30 a day. Well, you can't buy plane tickets on a $30 a day budget. So it was taking train rides, bus rides, all that kind of stuff, ferries. Well, you can't stay in a hotel for $30 a day. So it was couch surfing and hostels not a lot of nice, fancy restaurants, mostly street food, which was great because that's what we wanted to do anyways. And so the whole trip kind of was at least constrained by budget, but it unlocked a style and a, and a way to travel that was so unique, which is what well, turns out the people that are traveling on a 52-hour train ride in 
Africa from Zambia to Tanzania, like those are not a bunch of business people, you know, from Europe, they're all locals. Mm -hmm. And so by staying and, and transporting and eating at all of these places, we were spending time with the most interesting people who were from there or traveling the way we were. And uh, it just cre unlocked such an amazing experience getting to like go deep. And, and obviously we didn't spend months and months, so there's far deeper to go, but go deeper understanding the people than we would have if we had spent a week there staying at a Hilton. Yeah, it sounds very much like the motivation behind how we travel now is, we, I don't even call it slow travel, I just call it like untourism, the desire to not just like check the box and extract out what I can get from this destination, but more like how do we connect with the locals? How do we stay at like the most unique place or get to know like which is the mom and pop restaurant that we need to eat at? Like that's part of the experience now for us. So I think it's really fascinating that you did that so long ago and I'm just finding it now. <laughs> it's, it's very intriguing to learn from you. Yeah. And it's harder to do now because, you know, we don't have eight months. Mm -hmm. So if you're saying I want to go to a place for a week, how do you have that same experience? We're not going to couch surf, uh, you know, with a family of four. It's not as easy. So you could do an Airbnb, but Airbnbs become so commercialized now that almost every Airbnb I've stayed at in the last few years is really just like built for the purpose of Airbnb. And so I've actually done a few episodes, one with a guy named Brandon Presser, who's written a bunch of Lonely Planet guides, funny enough, and another with a guy named Sebastian Modak, who works at Lonely Planet, but hasn't written any Lonely Planet guides. <laughs> And both of them have been travel journalists for years. And we talked about like how, when you get to a place, do you kind of engineer that serendipity so that you can have those local experiences when you don't have all the time in the world? And Sebastian's story is crazy because every year the New York Times has been publishing this like list of 52 places to go. And in 2019, they sent him to all 52 places in a year. And so he had one week in a new place every week for 52 weeks. And he really had to figure out better than kind of almost anyone, how you have that local interesting experience. And he had the pressure of having to write some 10,000 words about it before the end of the week. Yeah. And so, you know, I can't get into all the tips. I mean, one of them was very simple. It was like, get off your phone yeah. and just look up right. and smile. Yeah. Like it, it seems so crazy, but it's, one of his, I listened to that episode and actually I was like, yes, I had recently been to a conference where Pico Iyer was the guest speaker and he shared a tip that was very similar to Sebastian's, which was like just your first hour when you get there, just go for a walk. And it's okay if you get lost, you'll have, find someone will help you find your way back if you need to, but just go for a walk and get to see and smell and hear what the local community is like, as opposed to like sitting in your hotel room and researching it on, on a screen. So I thought that was yeah. really helpful. And not scheduling too much is the other big one, right? If you really are someone who wants to tick all the boxes, maybe go on one of those aggressive tours day one, where you just like have someone drive you to tick off all the boxes and then leave days, you know, two through six open for finding something interesting to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I want to shift gears just a little bit because I think there's something else that you're really good at and I want to dig into it a little bit. And that is really your ability to connect people. And so in our bio, I talked a little bit about like laid off camp and South by Southwest kind of things that you have done and that have really inspired people to come together around a, a common experience. Maybe do you want to talk first about what the motivation was behind laid off camp and how that evolved and really, um, I guess, brought people together around a common purpose. Yeah. So when I moved to San Francisco, I had done it because I had this quick experience of like, oh, wow, you can build internet companies. I want to do that. And then everyone was like, oh, well, that's where they do it. So I was like, oh, I got to move there. 
So I'd asked the company I worked at who had an office there if I could transfer and they said yes. So transferred, got out here and like one month later, you know, in the wake, this is all in the end of 2008, you know, wake of the financial crisis, I got laid off. I probably should have seen that writing in the wall. They were very willing to move me halfway across the country or the entire way actually. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know anyone here. And I was trying to find a way to learn what I should do. And I thought, oh, what if we just invited anyone to come out who's in this situation and we can kind of all share and learn and meet from each other? There had been a series of events in the kind of technology industry called Bar Camp, which were just kind of these unconferences where people would come to talk about different technical things like software development and engineering and that kind of stuff. I was like, what if we just did something called laid off camp and like people could share skills on interviewing, people could help people learn how to be freelancers or start companies or companies that were actually growing could hire people. You know, it wasn't a business. I didn't make any money. Mm-hmm. I got some free pizza and a t-shirt. Um, but we ended <laughs> up doing one in San Francisco and it was such a big, big success that I, I made a wiki and I said, anyone that wants to put one on can put one on and I'm here as a resource. And, you know, within, by the end of the year, there were 20 of them happening at, you know, 20 different cities around the country. So it really took off and was a chance for me to meet interesting people, learn more about what skills I had and grow. But it was not helpful at all in, you know, working towards financial independence. Uh, It was a completely, it was like an unpaid seven month internship. I'm assuming you people got to know you because of that. And that maybe did that lead to anything else that came out of that or yeah, some of the sponsors were like, gosh, you, you have a knack for this, like just getting stuff done. One of them was like, well, we need to build a fundraising deck. You used to work in banking. Can you help us? And, oh, can you put on some events for our company? So I definitely was able to turn it into a few freelance projects. I met some really interesting people. I, I had a thing. You know, it's interesting when you meet people, so much of building relationships and connecting with people is just like having some sort of thing to discuss and, and be remembered by. And so if I walked up and I was like, hi, I'm unemployed, there's just not a thing. But if I'm like, oh, I started a conference about for laid off people, people are like, oh, tell me more about that thing. I still think the other strategy is to just let other people talk. So, you know, if you have a thing that's exciting enough for someone to want to talk to you and then you just let them do all the talking, you can usually build a pretty great relationship quickly. And so, you know, I walked around with these business cards at a conference once and they were just like pink slips with my name and laid off camp on them. And that was kind of like a fun conversation starter. So I think having a project is something that really helps with that. And it doesn't have to be a big project. It could just be a book you're writing, a blog you're starting, you know, a photography passion, anything like that. Yeah. I think it makes for interesting stories too. I, um, we were joking. So my husband and I are taking, well, our whole family is taking a gap year and we were joking because we were at a wedding this weekend. And I was like, what are we going to say we are next year when people are like, oh, so what do you do? I'm like, um, should we start making up the stories now? Or should we like come up with something to share? But I think it, even your pink slip, like you mentioned, it gives them something interesting to talk about. And I love your hack of let someone else do the talking, right? If you just listen, it's pretty fascinating how many things I think we have in common and can talk about, but not always having to take the lead and drive the conversation is is pretty cool. What uh, what was the inspiration then behind uh, speaking at South by Southwest? Honestly, it was that I knew South by Southwest was kind of like the hub of startup, the startup scene back at least in, in 2009, 2010. And so I knew that if I could speak at South by Southwest, I wouldn't have to pay for a ticket to go to South by Southwest. I knew as a speaker, you kind of, as ridiculous as it is, people are like, oh, you're speaking. There must be like, you must be some someone more interesting than just an average person I've seen. And they gave all the speakers different colored badges. 
So I was like, wow, if I could give a talk at South by Southwest, I could get a free pass to this conference and maybe have a faster track to meet interesting people. So I submitted a talk that was like about fun employment and trying to figure out what to do when you've been laid off and they accepted it. And so it, there wasn't really any more than that, but it was a good chance. To, I mean, that's where I kind of decided I'm going to go find a company. I'm going to go get a job. Like it's time to, you know, I always said grow up at the time. It was like, I just spent eight months traveling around the world. In fact, when the talk got approved, I was like, well, now I know when the trip is going to end because <laughs> I need to fly to Austin. But yeah, that, that there wasn't too much to it other than knowing that that was the center of where all the companies that I one day wanted to work at would be. And so I need to find a way to go there and, and maximize my chances of finding a job that I would be excited about. That's awesome. I appreciate the fact that you said this, This even the topic I think is funny, fun employment. So many people are coming out of COVID and out of whatever we're in right now and like trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. And and so fun employment even sounds fascinating. Can you just give me like a two minute overview of like, what did you talk about? Yeah. I mean, the idea was you don't have a job and like you can do whatever you want with that. You, you can first process the fact that it's there but you can take it as an opportunity to try to figure out what passions you have, what things you're excited about, what skills you have that you could monetize. So often, I think people struggle to find the time to test out different side hustles, different ideas. It's a blessing, obviously, that you get more time to do that. It's obviously a curse that you don't have a paycheck. But fortunately, most companies, when they lay you off, give you some type of severance. So if that's the case, that's great. But I don't know, it was kind of a little bit about trying to make the most of a crappy situation and use it as an opportunity to learn about what you what you want to do. Yeah. Is there anything right now that you're working on, either that you're curious about or you want to get better at that's kind of driving you towards the next thing? Ever since starting a podcast and kind of creating content on out for the world, I've wanted to get better at that. It's not something I've done my career, right? I've talk to people, but I haven't actually created, you know, this is all new to me. So the podcast has been something I spent a lot of time on. And, you know, we've recorded videos of episodes. And now I'm like, Oh, okay, now that I'm on video, what do I want to do differently? And so just kind of learning the ins and outs of this whole new industry has been fascinating. I've really enjoyed going deep on everything there is about creating a podcast, working with brands, growing it, you know, interviewing people, researching people. That's just been my latest thing. And then the second is all about, you know, now I have a kid who speaks and talks. So trying to figure out how to match that uh, appropriately, it's, it's very different than anything else I've ever done. So those are the two things I'm really trying to focus on. And then, you know, we haven't talked much about like, the points and miles side of travel hacking, but I now have a totally different world of figuring that out because, you know, we went from two to two plus two kids and an au pair. So every trip is like a trip for five. And that's just a whole new ball game of trying to travel. It's, you know, you need multiple rooms or you need lots of seats on a plane. And so just try to figure out a way to have my points keep up with the needs of a family that's traveling is, is something I'm trying to figure out as well. I appreciate all of those things. And part of the reason I didn't go too deep on all of your travel hacks is because you have a podcast that I think people need to check out and talk more about. So I'd actually encourage you to talk more about your podcast and where people can find you and maybe highlight a couple of episodes or I can put a couple of episodes. You already mentioned a couple I'll put in the show notes, but tell us a little bit more about all the hacks and the podcasting work that you're doing. Yeah. So, you know, if you haven't garnered from this conversation that I like to optimize my life and I'm like always seeking out deals and trying to, you know, live an optimal, happy life at the lowest cost, then 
I've really been a, doing a poor job of talking, but assuming you got that point across, that that is what I started the show for. It was, I like to spend my time trying to further that goal to upgrade and optimize my life, my money, my travel. And so I just started recording the conversations I was having to try to do that. About a year and a half in, done about 75 episodes. And I'd say about a third of them are diving into everything travel, mostly because I love travel and it's a big part of most of our budgets. And if you look at the the one thing that, you know, you can't save away your rent, you can't optimize away your utility bills. There's some tricks there and, you know, we could talk about those, but, but travel is one of those things that, you know, it's, it's optional, but it's so valuable. So we spent about a third of the show talking about optimizing travel. We've done an episode about everything you need to do to save on rental cars. And I've had listeners save hundreds of dollars by just like following some of those tips. You know, you can go back to episode one and it's like a run through of a ton of great travel hacks. You know, there's a whole series of episodes about Q&A, about credit card points and miles and how to play that game to travel for free. But I also have a background as a financial advisor and, you know, working and running a financial planning firm. So I, I try to keep about a third of the episodes about money and investing and saving, whether that's how to invest, how to save, budgeting, all those different topics are, are really important to me and things I love to learn about. And then the rest is everything else. I've got an episode on negotiating, um, done an episode on side hustles, time management, uh, gosh, you know, like I've had athletes on to talk about fitness and performance. We've talked about happiness. I, I tend to think there's kind of an episode for everyone. And as much as some people come for a specific topic, I always hear the emails of, I came to save money on my next vacation, but this episode about throwing a cocktail party, which we did a few weeks ago, was like the most interesting thing ever. And I'm throwing a cocktail party next week. Yeah. And so, you know, I would say find one that, looks interesting to you and check that out first, but don't be afraid to try some of the other ones that might not have been what you came for, but could change your outlook on the way you do something and hopefully help you live a happier and more fulfilling life while also spending a little bit less and saving a little bit more. Thank you for that. It is fascinating because, and I actually may be able to link like my five favorite episodes of yours in the show notes or something, just to give you a sense of like, it's all over the board, but I also, you know, you come for the content, but you stay for the the interesting conversations and, and different things that you're learning and sharing as well in the episodes. The cocktail party one is fascinating. I never would have said uh, like, oh, I want to host a cocktail party. But after that one with Nick, I was like, I think I'm going to host a cocktail party. <laughs> so they're addicting. That's awesome. I want to hear how it goes. Yeah, I want to hear how yours goes too. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, Chris, is there anything else that I didn't mention or that you wanted to highlight that I didn't ask um, to share with my listeners? No, just that, like, look, I want to try to do as much as I can to help people live more fulfilling lives, travel for free, you know, save money. So if there's, if you're looking at the podcast, you're like, gosh, there's not a topic about this thing. Send me an email, chris at allthehacks.com. I would love to hear what I can try to incorporate in a future episode, in a future q and I'm doing one on travel in a couple of weeks. So depending on when this comes out, send me those questions. Even if it's after, I'll, I'll be doing them regularly. So, you know, I, I want, podcasting is unfortunately not the easiest two-way form of communication because, you know, there's not just a quick reply button like there is for email or comments on YouTube, but, you know, I'm here and, you know, whether it's a DM on social or an email, I'd love to do what I can to try to make the show more valuable to anyone listening. Yeah. And so the podcast is all the hacks. Find it on any podcast player. Any other like social media handles or things that you want to promote that people can follow you on? If you go to chrishutchins.com, there's links to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all the good stuff. But uh, I'm pretty much Chris Hutchins everywhere except uh, Twitter where I'm just at Hutchins. Cool. 
Thank you so much for helping us just get more value out of life, out of time, money, travel, all the things, like you said. I really appreciate you being here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I hope you got as much value out of this conversation as I did. I have 11 key takeaways for you today. Number one, a great starter travel hack is to book your room directly with the hotel. Then email the hotel directly, like the local hotel, not the headquarters, and share more about who you are and why you're staying there. The number of extras people receive has been in the hundreds. Hotels are in the hospitality game. By interacting with them directly, you're letting them do the things they're good at, which is hospitality. Working with them direct, you make it easier for them to build a relationship with you and provide a better overall experience. Number two, Chris shared an experience where negotiating with an added challenge of culture and language barriers led to things escalating a little quick. Even though he may have been in the right, it reminded him that sometimes winning isn't worth saving a couple bucks. Number three, living on $30 a day did inspire finding the cheapest accommodations each night. However, if $3 meant three hours of walking around town, there's a point when you have to recognize that you'll never get those three hours back. Number four, time becomes more important than money when you have kids. Finding the value of 30 minutes is very different when you have a total free time of less than four hours as compared to maybe 10 hours you previously had. Number five, one way they optimized their life with kids was to hire someone to bulk prep meals from Craigslist. Sometimes optimizing means figuring out what management trick we can use right now without feeling like we have to create a system that solves our problem forever. Number six, once they traveled via the cheapest flights, today the filter is the cheapest flights and a direct flight. Number seven, being a dad, he's gotten more optimized on time strategies without sweating the small to moderate financial investment. He's much more likely to spend time with his kids than spend hours researching the best option as he may have earlier in his life. Number eight, using his Lyft driving example, Chris was able to give his time a floor value. Putting a dollar value on each hour of his time helped him realize the negative ROI of do-it-yourself type implementation. Number nine, stacking two tasks that don't need the same part of your brain is a tip that allows him to maximize his time. For example, he might schedule a call while on a walk or listen to a podcast guest that he's doing his research on while driving or washing dishes. Number 10, a simple action item is to do a calendar audit from time to time. What lights you up and what can go away or be stacked on top of something else? Number 11, having a thing to talk about when you're meeting new people helps him build relationships. Laid off camp was a thing that people were curious about, but better yet, listen. The more you listen and let other people do the talking, the deeper the relationship can build faster. I hope you found something from this episode that just helps make your week a little bit lighter. Your adventure win of the week doesn't need to be a big win of the week. And by the way, this happens every Friday in our Facebook group if you want to come out and check all the weekly wins of the week. We hope to see you there. I hope you'll take a couple of episodes. There are a number of resources that are linked at the bottom of this in the resources section that Chris made mention of. Everything from travel hacking to setting up a cocktail party, just tons of opportunities to think about travel differently, to think about optimizing time, resources, and money differently. Until next week, I can't wait to see you in the Facebook group. Share those adventure wins and keep on adventuring. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. 
subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.